Our special guest this morning is Pastor John Cox. John is here with his entire family. I, I'll have him introduce them. Uh, some of you ladies met his wife, Daisy. Uh, she spoke to our ladies at the annual Christmas Ladies Tea in December and did a fantastic job. John and I have been friends for uh, the past decade. Um, he is, at the moment, senior pastor at Redemption Bible Church in Fresno. That's in California. Um, John has a most unusual background. Um, if evangelicalism is unfamiliar, uh, then these names are probably meaningless to you, but for others of us, um, some of them are profound. John was raised in Los Angeles and was part of Grace Community Church, so John MacArthur was his pastor and close friend and still is today. As a teenager, Francis Chan was his youth pastor. Um, Johnny Erickson Tata has been a close friend for decades. He chose to attend school at UNR, came to Nevada. That was his first uh, time to uh, really get acquainted with the northern Nevada. And uh, afterwards, he returned to, uh, he majored in journalism, I might add. He returned to Southern California. He worked for uh, The Tonight Show and Jay Leno. I found that curious. I said, is Jay as nice, is Jay as, nice as he seems to be? He said, no, he's nicer. And then uh, I asked him the question, all the guys want to know, have you been to Jay's garage? He said, yes, I have. And uh, it's amazing. Um, but the singular dramatic experience that God used to call him to pursue a career uh, in the pastorate was the time he spent in the Ecuadorian jungle with Steve Saint. Steve Saint's father was Nate Saint, one of five missionaries martyred by a savage Ecuadorian tribe called the Acas in 1956. If you're unfamiliar, Google it. It made international headlines. It was a phenomenal event because nothing like that had ever happened before. All five missionaries, young men in their 20s and early 30s, uh, were martyred, speared to death in the river uh, after making contact with them. It was a savage tribe. So uh, because of Steve Saint's Aunt Rachel, she embedded herself in that hostile tribe, and so that violent, barbaric tribe has long ago become Christians and uh, are now renamed the Wandani tribe. Uh, so for 10 days, John said he ate, uh, slept, hunted, I guess, because he said he ate monkey, um, and lived with the men, the actual men who killed those missionaries. Um, all of them had become committed Christians. And those of us that have been through our Essentials of Discipleship course. Remember one class I share a brief video about that happening. And uh, one man in particular was with Steve Saint. He was an Aka tribesman named Mackay. Mackay was one of those men that actually killed Steve Saint's father. Mackay became a Christian and a, an outspoken preacher of the gospel. And uh, Steve Saint actually adopted him as his grandfather. John told me that Mackay was his bunk partner during his time there. John returned home. He met Daisy at a restaurant in Pasadena where she was a waitress. I assume it was love at first sight because they were engaged in a month and then married in 10 months. Uh, they have three children. You'll meet them in a moment. He graduated with his master's degree in divinity from Master's Seminary, planted a church in Carson City. It was then it was discovered that he had cancer. In particular, he had lymphoma. He had a grapefruit-sized tumor in his chest, altogether 20 tumors the size of the others, the size of kiwi fruit. He suffered through seven agonizing, torturous months of chemo and then a month of radiation at Stanford. And this morning, because of God's incredible goodness and grace, John is cancer-free. There's so much more that could be said, but I've said enough. So would you welcome to Shadow Mountain Church, Pastor John Cox. Thank you, Larry. Oh, is this? We good? Thank you, Larry, so much. Um, that was an awesome, awesome trial run for my funeral, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, 
it, no, it, it is truly just awesome to be with you here today. It really is. Um, you know, northern Nevada is something that's really special to me. Um, my grandfather uh, lived in Alpine County for years. My grandparents lived in Woodford's. And so I grew up coming up here all the time. And uh, to date me, if you remember the Valley Bar, my grandpa bartended at the Valley Bar. So I actually thought it was a place you can go get three Butterfingers at and didn't realize the people asleep at that table behind you were doing something else. Anyway, um, that's long gone and it's burnt. It's history. But... Uh, but this area isn't. We have been blessed uh, to, to uh, have, you know, our kids raised our kids here. Kids were born here. Uh, my wife, Daisy, and I came here uh, and we're blessed to, to ministry here. And then my daughter, Jane, is 16 and Brooke is 13 and Jack just turned nine. And so we are so blessed by them and, uh, and so many things. And as Larry mentioned, even our friendship, I, I really, really appreciate Larry so much and the fact that that uh, there are some people that preach and there's people that pastor and preach and Larry's definitely a pastor. Um, just We had breakfast yesterday and just hearing his love and his care for you and just the heart he has for you, knowing your stories, knowing your lives, there's, there, there's definitely, uh, he is just a shepherd and I've experienced that as him uh, mentoring me and speaking life into me. So, so I, just, I just honor uh, the, the blessing of knowing uh, him and hope and the gift they are to Daisy and I. And uh, even through the, the challenges we walked through, even when we went through cancer. And, you know, there's a lot that, that uh, to be joyful about, uh, to be done with cancer. But the reality is this, is that walking through those challenges and those seasons of life are actually some of the gravest and best moments where God builds us, isn't it? To where, to where we actually can think that something Terrible is happening, and it is, but God is doing something supernatural within us. And so the reality is that sometimes we just don't see that, and sometimes we need to see that because we can look at life, uh, you know, as though it's like a, you know, black and white TV, but when we experience trials and difficulties, all of a sudden everything becomes like, you know, 8K, full definition, you know, you, you see, see with absolute clarity because we're more heightened to the realities of this. What are we looking at? Who God is. Because what God is doing when we're walking through those trials and those difficulties isn't to deflate us, but to remind us and to refresh in us the abundant life that he is afforded to us through the gospel. Amen? And sometimes it's hard not to see it when we're walking through it. And if we're not seeing it, one of the most gravest things that can happen in the church and happens in our lives can overwhelm us, and it's this, ready? Apathy. Where we can look upon Christ, we can look upon the work, we can look upon the life that he has given to us and just be like, okay. As, a poor, as opposed to having this jaw-dropping awe of this amazing God we serve. And so how has he chosen to reveal that to us? Through trials, right? That's why we know this. All trials pass, but you don't pass all trials, right? You know, trials are going to pass. They're going to go. But God is doing, the, allowing those things in our life to build us and to grow us. I, I remember when I was walking through cancer, we were, we were living in Johnson Lane, and I was about three months into my chemo, and my wife and I are, are, are waiting literally for the phone call that is going to say if I'm going to live or die. Um, and I just that morning, I, I went back into my bedroom and I got down and I put my face in the carpet. I was just crying out. My wife was pregnant with my son at the time and I'm just crying. I'm out, Lord, save my life, save my life. And, 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 and God, I, I want to live to serve you. I want to raise my son. I want to be with my family. God, I, I, I'm just so overwhelmed by that. And then I remember getting up and walking out. Little did I know that my oldest daughter, Jane, was looking at me through through the window, and she runs up to me, puts her arms around me, she says, Daddy, I don't want you to die, I don't want you to die, and I'm like, oh my goodness, and, I, and I'm like, honey, I'm so, I'm, I, I love you so much, we had this tender moment, and then my daughter, Brooke, comes in bouncing on this, this ball, and she's like, Dad's not gonna die, God's gonna save him, and she keeps bouncing, 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 bouncing. <laughs> and there was this, there's this reality of like, wait a second, there's a God who's more powerful than cancer, Amen? There's a God who's more powerful than the challenges that I walk through in this life. There's a God who walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't kick me in there and says, you know, come out when you're ready. 
He navigates it with us. He walks us through us because when we are walking through the trials of life, what he is doing is he is shedding us of our flesh so we can live in the freedom of the abundant life that he has given to us. That's the beauty of it. And, and the reality is this, though, and let's be honest here, right? Because I don't want to just speak all this you know, Christianese jargon that we just talk about sometimes. Let's, get to the, let's talk turkey. The reality is this, is life is hard. The trials are real. The difficulty is rough, and there's times where we can doubt God. There's times where we can think that God is taking life from us, not giving to us life. And therefore, what do we do in those moments? We try to take the wheel from him. We, 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 we try to make sense of it in our own way. But the reality is this, is that the life that we want to seize, the life that we think that we want so much, it does not compare to the life that Jesus Christ has afforded to us through, through Christ, through himself. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this. He said, the thief comes only to steal and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the life that Jesus wants for you. The, the abundant life in the Greek is a zoe life. It is talking about an overflowing, unending, fully satisfying life that does not compare to anything in this world. Why? Because it's the life of Christ. And therefore, it's a life full of hope. It's a life full of joy. It's a life full of love. It's a life full of sober-mindedness. And it's, it is a life that has an unending satisfaction and security. That is the life that he has given to us. And, and I need it, right? And, and, I, and I need it so much because there are times in my life where the life that Jesus has promised me just doesn't seem to be really that abundant. It, it just really doesn't seem that hopeful. And we say, okay, Jesus, I'm just going to tolerate life, get through, get to heaven and he's like, no, no, I want you to experience the fullness of my life. And the reason why life can fall into that way is because sometimes whether it's through our trials or our disappointment or whatever we're walking through, we can begin looking through a temporal lens that can drown us in a sea of apathy. So what does God do? God is constantly daily refreshing us with the truth of the value of life is found in this, in knowing Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.8 says, indeed I count, Paul says, indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This is where we can see through temporal loss and be confident of eternal gain. Where we're not consumed with finding value in our earthly identity over the identity we have as a new creation in Jesus Christ. Where we don't look at Jesus Christ as the mascot of our faith, but the master of our souls. Where I can look upon the joy of knowing Jesus and understand that Jesus Christ has put me, he's put you in the place that you're at and the time that you're at for a purpose and that is to bring glory for him and therefore when I understand that he's walking with me through that, I wanna make everything I do in my life to count for eternity. When I understand the brevity of life and the fullness of the life we have in Christ, man, I want everything that we do to be full in eternity. And that life is not, this is what's so awesome, it is not something that is different than the life that Jesus Christ had. It is the very same life. And when we look at the life of Christ, what did he do? I'll tell you, Jesus walked through more pain and more suffering than we'll ever even understand. He pushed through hatred and bitterness, right? He walked the road of holiness and loneliness. He walked, he took on rejection to bring redemption. And he took our temporal pain so that we can live in the eternal life he secured for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. I mean, that, that's the reality of what we have. So, so how do we live in this place? How do we live in a place where we are, are, are daily keeping in, in front of us the reality of the life that we have in Christ so our motivation to get through in life is not just to have a better life today, but rather 
a life that is living in the present joy of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, and I don't need anything of the world because I have everything in Jesus. Well, turn your Bibles with me to Philippians 3.12. 3.12. And I, I love preaching through this passage because this is, I, I need this every single day of my life. And uh, I asked Larry if I can teach out of the ESV. He said, yes. It's not pagan, so we're good. Um, and, I, and I love the ESV, and, I, and, and one of the reasons I want to use it today is because I love the translation of one of the pieces I'll mention in a little bit. But look at verses 12 through 16 with me. Paul writes this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is what Paul is talking about, and this is what we need. And I'll tell you what, I need this in my life so I do not, again, swim in a sea of apathy where Jesus Christ is meh. The life he's given to us is all right. Where worship is not jaw-dropping, right? And we need to know his abundant life, but this is what we're looking at this morning. How are we holding true to, the, to abundant life? How do we daily hold True, hold fast to the abundant life that Christ has given to us. Look at verse 12. Paul writes this. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What do we do? Number one, number one, hold true to your victorious identity. Hold true to your victorious identity now, when Paul wrote this, this is, this is fascinating. He was, there was a group of people, even in the, in the church, where it was rising up, where they believed that you could be perfect, right? You could actually be perfect spiritually, and, and even the Greeks believed that you could be perfect. In, in fact, for the Greeks, what was in, what's interesting is this, is that and when Paul writes about the fact that the Greeks say, oh, they believe the gospel is foolishness, it wasn't that they believed didn't believe that a man could be a god. They believed men could be gods. It wasn't that they, that, they, that they didn't believe that a god could even rise from the dead. What was foolishness to them was the fact that our God, Jesus Christ, has scars. Because scars were a sign of imperfection, therefore a sign of sin. And the point is this, is that the entire culture, the entire society, the entire pagan background was believing that, that, if, that the pursuit of life is found and the joy of life is found in perfection. And that was leaking its way into the church. Good thing that doesn't exist today, right? No, that's, that, that's, that, that's what the world is screaming out, right? You need the perfect clothes. You need the perfect car. You need the perfect house. You need the perfect appearance, and so on and so on and so on. And, and it wants you to, to live by FOMO, right, fear of missing out, so that you think that you don't have what's best. And so we can fall into that hamster wheel and start pursuing, pursuing, pursuing. But there's one thing that I know, and my son pointed out to me the other day, listen, wrinkles come and paint chips, right? Gray hair is starting to lip up the back of my head, right? The world is in a constant decay, and the world wants to, you to pretend that you can not only achieve, but you can maintain perfection. So what do you do? We pretend. And so what's Paul saying? I'm not pretending. This is not that I've obtained this. Well, what is this he's referring to? It's back in chapter 11. He's saying the resurrection from the dead. He is saying that I have not obtained the full and complete perfection of being a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? I'm not dead. That's, that's the reality. The truth is, is that we have been justified by the blood of Jesus, meaning that we've been declared righteous by Christ, but we are in the process of sanctification where we are daily being conformed into the image of Christ, and that day of perfection is not here yet, and so therefore, when we look at the challenges and the trials that we walk through, listen, those things don't arrive because God was asleep on watch. 
Those things arrive because a sovereign God has sent those things and in his wisdom has sought to strip us away of the false hope that we have so that we can live in the abundant life that he desires to give to us. And the world wraps that up in our identity. So what do we do? He says this, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is saying, I I fight hard. He says, I press on to make righteousness my own. The word for press on is fascinating in the Greek. It's diako in the Greek, and it means to pursue, to put flight, meaning like I'm running after, I'm going after it. But it also means this, is to persecute, right? To where where, where I am not allowing the sin or the or the garbage in my life to hold me back, I am putting the flight to my Lord and Savior. That's the beauty of what he's called us to. To persecute what? To persecute our sin. And so, so we see this action of Christ's perfection becoming our likeness and sin no longer having power over this. And we can look at this and say, well, what motivates us for this? I love this, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. How did he do this? Through the work of the cross, through the work of sacrifice. This is, this is what we see, is that the life that you have, the life, if, if you've been saved by Christ, repented of your sin, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, if, you, if he is your Savior and Lord, then you understand this, is that Jesus bought you with his blood and rewarded you with his righteousness. He bought you with his blood and he rewarded you with his righteousness. Why? Because he loves you. Hebrews 12, 3 says this. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? Why would the God of the universe allow himself to be spat on, mocked, belittled, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is, the, this is the beauty of what Jesus did. He walked that road so that we could be full of strength and not live in defeat. But this is the thing that Jesus understands, and this is, the, this is the compassion that the Lord has on you and me, is this is not an easy walk. Following Christ is not easy, and I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. We're all friends here, right? The biggest enemy to my walk with Jesus Christ is me, right? I am the greatest threat to Christ in me, to living in that fullness. And, and the reality is this, is that the life that we have is hard because we can get in the way. And sometimes we can even look at it like this. I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard it like this. Have you ever heard this? I fell into sin. How are you doing? Struggling, I, I fell into sin. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever did that? Oh, we don't raise our hands on that. That's right. But have you ever heard anybody say this? You know, I was in Walmart the other day, I was in the frozen food aisle, and all of a sudden, I just fell into righteousness. I just started doing righteous things. Righteous thoughts were pouring from my mind. I don't know where it came from. No, life's not like that, right? Well, why? Because sin is a pit and righteousness is a mountain. Sin is a pit you fall into, but righteousness is a mountain that you climb. It's easy to sin. But to become like Christ, to pursue Christ, it is a mountain to climb. And this is is what we have. What drives us to climb this mountain? It is his love. It's the fact that I get to know Jesus has a longing for me and a life for me that he wants me to experience. And the heights that I climb, what I achieve is the joy of knowing him. And, and, And that's what drives us. Listen, our our flesh craves the things of the world very easily. But there are days we have to hold fast to this promise as well, that when I fail, I am Christ's. And when I live, I am Christ's. That there is nothing that you can do to take yourself out of the promise and the security that Jesus Christ has given to you. There's nothing you can do to take away your identity, regardless of what the world is saying or even what you say to yourself sometimes. 
because he saved us. It is his work. And the beauty is this, is therefore we don't need to fear what comes because what God has given to us is an identity of victory. We can be hit with insurmountable trials and issues. We can, we can have temptations that can seem like, man, I'm never going to get over that. But the reality is this, because Christ was victorious, we have an identity of victory. And the world will seek to rain down upon you problems and difficulty and confusion, but the blessing of his favor is constantly raining down upon us. And this is what we do sometimes. This is what I do sometimes. Every day, there is an absolute downpour of God's blessing. Right now, for you, God is raining down his love, his peace, his mercy, his joy, his satisfaction, his security. It is just raining down. We get drenched in it, but you know what we do sometimes? We just walk out with a spiritual umbrella. We walk out and we're like, God, I just, I, I, got, I can't let this sin go. God, I gotta find my identity in, 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 the, in the failure of my past. Or God, I, I, just, I just don't think you're ever gonna forgive me of this. It just seems too much. And this is what we're doing, is we're living in a downpour of God's favor, but we are allowing this umbrella of our flesh to keep us from experiencing being soaked to the bone with his goodness. That's where, what is he saying? Paul said, get rid of those things. Drop the umbrella. Live in the fullness of his downpour. And one of the things, again, that, 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 that makes us think we need to hold on to this is the, is, the, is the way the world defines our identity. Well, what do I mean by that? This is in your notes. Live by how you're defined and not by how you're described. Live by how you're defined, not in how you're described. Why? The world would describe me as like a six-foot-five you know, you know, pastor with three kids, you know, living in California, whatever it is, he could describe you as a fireman or as, as, as you know, somebody in the Army Reserve. He could describe you as a retiree. That's what the world would want to describe you. And this is what the world does is when they, when they uh, describe you, they base your value on how much you're described. Like the other day, Mark Wahlberg was at the... Uh, at the uh, uh, legislature, trying to bring in studios and stuff here, the actor, and people were taking pictures with him and all this stuff, which is awesome. Listen, I went to Rayleigh's the other day, nobody wanted my picture. <laughs> I just want to be really, really clear with you, right? Why? Because I'm not valuable. And the world would say, why? Because you're not described this way. Listen, do not put your value into the identity that the world would say you're described this way. Put your value into the fact that you are defined by God as a forgiven child of God. That is the power of your identity. Don't live by how the world describes you. Don't put your value into what the failures of the past or the success of the past. Put your value into the priceless Lord who has saved you. And his value and that value you have is enough. You don't need anything in this world. Look what he says next here. Verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider it. I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Number two, hold true to his eternal promise. Hold true to his eternal promise. Paul says this. He says, I do not consider that I've made it my own. What Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, I don't look at my life and say, oh, I've, I've arrived, right? That, that I've grown enough, that I'm perfected. Rather, he's saying, I have a conscious understanding that we're a work in progress, and I'm not going to pretend that, I'm that I've arrived. Like you can say, I'm apostle. I've done a lot of things for Jesus. I'm all good. But look at this. He says, no, what I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And let's put it this way. Paul, a lot of guys, more, than guys, more than a lot of guys in the New Testament, had a lot of baggage, didn't he? He had a lot of stuff in his past. But Paul is saying, I make a conscious decision to forget the past and strain forward. The picture is unique because it is an action. It is one action that is two parts. The first is to forget the past. Why? Why do we need to forget our past? 
Because if you're anything like me, your past will paralyze you. And if we look in the past, it paralyzes us in a couple of ways. One is we could live in the weight of regret, right? When, when we're sitting there and we just see the regret of the decisions we made, the failure of our past, the sins that we've given into, the decisions that, that cause collateral damage on the lives of other people around us, of all the things we've done, but there's an, and, and here's the thing. When we live in that regret, when we live with our minds in the past, you know what happens? We are paralyzed. We just believe that there is no freedom. This is the way life is. We just need to tolerate and get through. So we need to forget our past, but then also, this is the other piece of that too. We don't just forget our regrets. We also are to forget our successes. Why? Because we can look at the successes that we had and we can say, look at all I did. Look at the glory days. Look at all my trophies on the wall. Look how amazing I am. And we can even look at those things and we can say, hey, you want to know what? I've arrived. I'm good. Don't really, you know, don't really need to do much anymore. But this is what Paul's getting at. When you look upon the sin committed or the wrong decisions you made, it creates a burden that distracts you from the cross. And when we live in the glory days, we can carry a burden that we idolize. Both halt our transformation. So what do we do? We don't just sit and think in the past, but rather we run. We, we, we strain forward, and the word strain is also an athletic metaphor. It, it is the picture of an athlete that's pushing themselves to a place where it is not comfortable, to where there is a pursuit of life, a pursuit of excellence. And I want you to see this because the point Paul is making here is about how we run. Where, where we must place every burden at the cross, forget every vanity that could hold us back, and forge forward to what lies ahead and keep our eyes fixated on what's ahead of us. What do we mean by that? This is in your notes too. Live life looking through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. Live life looking through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. A lot of the times we're going forward, we're going down the road, and it's so easy for us just to look in the rearview mirror and look at what's behind us. And we could say, look, it was lost. Look, it was broken. Look at all the things there. And what God wants us to do is to look forward at the road that's ahead. And to understand that what he has coming for us is not new temporal earthly experiences, but is, is the experience of being transformed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that road, it is not a road that you have to pave. It is the road that he paved. It is the road that we walk, the road that he forged. This is why Hebrews 12.1 says this. It says, therefore, laying, since we are so surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I, I, I love this because we're, we're, what is our call? And what, is, what, is, what are we able to do? To lay aside every burden, every failure, every condemnation. And, you know, listen, your, your past has done enough damage already, right? We need to believe the truth of Romans 8.1 where, where Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the, the point that Paul is making is critical. It's not what you've done, it's how you'll finish. And what lies ahead? Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. What's he talking about? Listen, it's not just him, this is us. And one day God is going to reward you. And I love this. This is what we're running towards that day. That day, that day when we see our future in Christ, that day when we achieve seeing Jesus with perfect eyes, perfect soul, perfect, perfect body, and we see 
him welcoming us home. And the reward that he places on us is not the reward for the work we've done, but the joy of the work that he did in us. Listen, the Christian life is not an easy one, but it's the most joyful one. It is the most peaceful one. It is the most hopeful one. And again, we need to remember this, that regardless of where your life is, listen, today is not the end of the story. And your future is brighter than your past will ever be. Because your future is with Christ. Amen? Amen. So what do we do in the meantime? I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number three, hold true to his heartfelt call. Hold true to his heartfelt call. You know, we've been given a call from Christ and, and, and Paul continues this call in this athletic imagery and he's revealing that the, ra- the race we're running where he's saying you're not running on a treadmill, you're actually going somewhere. And then he, and he shows us we're not running to nothing, we are actually running to the owner of the voice. Okay? It's not just some voice that's coming out of some megaphone. We're like, I guess I go this way, right? No, we are hearing the voice of the call that is coming from our Savior who saved us intimately and knows us intimately and will reward us intimately. That's the joy of it. So here we have Christ saying to us by name, run home, run to me, run well. And this is the beauty of it. What's he calling us to? What's the voice leading us to? To the goal for the prize. Well, what's that? Well, the goal is completion in Christ, right? The goal is perfection in Christ. That's what we want. But the prize is attaining Christ in heaven. The goal is we want him. The prize is attaining it. And this is, this is the thing, let me just say, about heaven, Jesus just isn't the gatekeeper for you to get into a super cool place, right? The reason why heaven is awesome is because Jesus is there. That's really what it comes down to, right? And we could look at heaven and we could say, man, you know, heaven's going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to do so many neat things there, blah, 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 blah. But here's the deal. The reason why we are going to be in heaven and five billion years from now we're not going to be bored is because Jesus is infinite. And because Jesus Christ does not have, a, 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 have an end to his fullness, but he is an infinite God, we will constantly, consistently drink from a well of glory that we will never grow tired of. Why? Because if heaven was without Jesus, it's just a place. What makes heaven heaven is Jesus, because he's our heaven. That, that, that's, the, that's the difference. And so that's why it's important. We're not running to a place. We're running to a person. And that person is calling us home, but he's also saying to us, when obstacles come, press on. Paul's not saying this life is easy. He's saying you need to be running to something, and what is that? That is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is upward call? It means the highest calling. Like there is no greater calling than to be with Jesus Christ. Listen, the world could say, oh man, there's so many great things out there. And if you haven't got them, if you've never been to Paris, you're really missing out. You're not missing out on anything. If you read Revelation, it's not going to last much longer, okay? The reality is this, is the highest calling is to be with Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, penetrating the holy presence of God is the reward of fighting the good fight and overcoming all obstructions in the way. This all-consuming desire for God's presence goes a long way in tackling the major hindrances a seeker might find. When the goal is in clear view, the obstacles become trivial. This is important for us to grasp, right? Because what we focus on is really what will give us life, right? And, 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 and the beauty of it is you go back to the athletic imagery, when, if you've ever watched a runner in the Olympics, you never see them looking at their feet, right? You don't ever see them looking down and, and looking around. They're always just keeping their eyes fixated and focused on the goal, on the finish line. And that's the beauty of this. 
is we are to look at Christ and we see heaven in Christ. We, see, we hear of the power of Christ. We know the word of Christ and he's speaking to us. And we know exactly what our goal is and that's in Christ. And we are, our call is to keep our eyes fixated on him. But this is the challenge of the race we're in. We run in a dark world, don't we? We run in a falling world. And the world is, it understands where to get at us, how to deceive us, how to, how to lure us in. And we ourselves know how to deceive ourselves. So what do we need? We need the light of the word of God in our lives, right? The word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And the thing about this light, it's, it's, not, you know, it's not a light that is, that, is, uh, that is powered by something other than God. The, the word of God is powered by the very person of God. This is not something that was spoken years ago. The word of God is currently speaking eternal life because Jesus is the word and the word is life. Amen? And so therefore we want to know what the Bible says. And, and, and we need it in our lives. Why? Because if we take our eyes off Christ, if we take our eyes off of the word, man, we could just veer in and trip and fumble. So what do we need to do? We need to mute out the voice of the world and increase the volume of the word of God. That's what we need to do, right? We're, 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 we're literally dealing with our problems in the world doesn't involve blowing up more beer cans, if you know what I'm talking about, right? But the reality is this is, no, we want to turn up the volume of the word of God and we want to be so filled and fixated with what God says because, man, I want to believe more about what God says about himself and about me than I want to know what the world has to say about themselves. So we need to increase it. And when we do, we'll have joy in the Lord. But here's the reality. You will fall. I will fall. And we will stumble. But this is the blessing. Proverbs 24, 16 says this. It says, for the righteous fall seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. This, this is what's so amazing. Listen, our world is very unforgiving, Right? This world of cancel culture and all this stuff. The world just is looking for reasons to throw us to the curb. But here we find God. Here we find the perfect, holy God, the Savior of the world that we can sin against. And what does he do? He forgives us. And when we rise, we don't rise on our own. We rise because he's the one that lifts us. And he looks into our eyes and, he's, and he calls out to us again, run to me, run well. And how can we do that? How can we live in, in, a fake, in, in a place where we don't need to turn our face from Jesus in shame, but we can live in the security that our price is held in his hands? And it's because of this, because the priceless made you priceless with his blood. The priceless lamb of God has made you priceless because he has forgiven you through the power of the cross. And that's why we press on. Because we know who we're running to. Verse 15, Paul says this. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Number four, hold true to his plan of freedom. Hold true to his plan of freedom. Paul never looked at his spiritual maturity as a trophy or a final achievement. He, he, he never thought, you know, I've done enough. I, I, I can just go into cruise control. I'm all good. Right? And, and he never talked about, uh, about retiring, right? Larry, we, we talked about this the other day. When do you retire? What, what does God say in the Bible that pastors retire and people retire? Never, right? Does not say anything about retirement. Why? Because our lives are about serving him. Our lives are about going where he goes, being who he wants us to be, and, and, and learning what he wants us to learn. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm never going to stop until I see Jesus. But the temptation that we have is to think that we have enough, right? It's to think that we're mature. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge what? Puffs up, right? I went to seminary. I'm awesome. You kidding me? I'm a knucklehead. Listen, we, we can be tempted to think better of ourselves 
Because we know more, right? It's even, even at times we can look at the Word of God and we could be bibliolaters. We can, we can worship just the Bible and the knowledge and we have all of the knowledge, but how well did that work out for the Pharisees? Right? How, how well does it work out for the world where we're more concerned about being right than being righteous? Paul is, understands that if we're not careful, an arrogance can build up in us that we think is Christ-likeness, but it's really just self-righteousness. And he's doing so, he's speaking to these people in such a way, in such a very careful, loving way, to be, to be clear, about how there are those who are mature in the faith, but he's saying, listen, people, you still have much to learn. Just like me. It's, it's kind of like this. I'm not good at math. I, I am not good at math at all. But, but to a first grader, I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm the go-to guy. Come into my office. I'll show you the ways of one plus five. You know? it, it, it's like those things I'm amazing at. But to my 16-year-old daughter who went through sophomore la- math last year, I'm an idiot. Okay, I, 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 I'm like, can you help me? No, no, I, I, what is this? I, I have no clue. I can read Greek, but this is a completely other language that nobody should learn, right? <laughs> it, it, the, the reality is this, it, is, is that there are areas which we are not great in. So what we want to do is, is we want to live in first grade math. We want to remain in there. You want to see my art? Isn't that amazing? My finger painting skills are wonderful. And we just want to live in this place of comfortable, you know, complacency in our knowledge of Jesus, in our pursuit of him. And then what happens in the church, which is the greatest attack on the church today. Listen, the greatest attack on the church today is not the world. The greatest attack on the church today is apathy of Jesus Christ in the church to where we are not in absolute, complete awe of who he is. And let me be straight with you on this, is I fight for that every single day. Because it's so easy for my attention to be diverted, right? It's so easy to be, oh God, you're so glorious, you're so amazing. Oh, I got a text, what's going on? We are so easily distracted, but here's the thing that's so great about God, he is so, so gracious. And so what does he do? What's Paul saying? He's saying you need to recognize there's work still to be done in your walk with Christ. And then what does Paul say? He says, God's going to reveal it to you. Let's be really clear. He's saying you can't get around the fact that God's going to show you these things. But here's the thing that we have to ask ourselves. Will we allow God to expose and remove the remaining inadequacies with us? When he shows us those things, are we going to humble ourselves and be teachable and be, God, you're right. God, I want to live the way you've called me to live. And there's a reason why God does this for to us, and, and, and there's a reason why he even does this through trials and challenges, and it's not to harm us, it's to free us. Where sometimes the knife or the scalpel that comes into our lives that seems so fearful to us, again, is actually cutting away things of our life, of our flesh that we put too much faith in, that have just held us hostage for too many years. Listen, if we're serious about being a driven disciple, we need to allow God to strip away all the false faith and lead us into a freedom of life. We can, we, and as we allow God to do this work, we can see this freedom that leads again to a more abundant life because it, it just takes away the lies and brings in truth that binds. Verse 16, verse 16, Paul says this, He says, only let us hold true to what we've attained. Number five, hold fast to his eternal life. Hold fast, excuse me, hold fast to his eternal hope, excuse me. Hold fast to his eternal hope. The word here, you might be looking at your Bible and saying, my Bible doesn't say that. Some versions say, you know, we might walk in a manner worthy. And I actually love the way the ESV translates it here because the Greek word here is to walk, but the emphasis on the grammar isn't focusing just on walking. It's actually focusing on how you walk, meaning that, that what you're doing is you're clinging closely to something in your walk. In other words, to hold true, to hold fast. 
And the picture I love about this is as we're walking through this world, God wants you to never let go of the character work that he has done in you and to allow the world to strip you away from his grasp. That, that, or strip away that truth, that change in you from, from your grasp, excuse me. And we live in a world where we have an enemy who's very well skilled and, and, and very, you know, we, we know what he's going to do. And he will try everything to tear you away from what God has done. He, he doesn't want you to have any of the hope that you have, any of the joy that you have, any of the peace that you have. Because when you don't live in that downpour of blessing, what happens is, is you are actually becoming more ineffective for Christ. He knows that your eternity is secure, but the reality is this, is the enemy cannot steal away what God has done. Listen, we have to, we have to understand this, and I, and, I, and I don't know where your life is right now. I know all of us can walk through challenges, and, and, and you you might have run through losing your job, losing your house. You might have run through betrayal or even cancer or loss, death, whatever that is. But here's the reality. God has done a work in you. And the enemy wants to break down the character that God has built up. And this is why, this is why we have to look at the truth that God is speaking to us. And we need, to under, we need to mute out the world and we need to tune up the word of God because, again, we can never forget the transformation that we have attained in Christ. We can never forget the truth of the hope of what God is saying to us in Christ, the hope that we have in him. And understand this, the world is going to fight night and day for you to drop it. But you are the only one that can give it up. The world can't take it. I don't know if you've heard this before. I'm sure you have. And, I, and I've said this a thousand times. Walking through situations, say, man, that, that trial really stole my joy. That person really stole my joy. The circumstance really stole my joy. But you want to know the reality? Nothing can steal your joy. There is absolutely nothing can steal your joy. Why? Because joy is not found in an emotion. Joy is found in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And nobody can steal away my joy because my joy is in my God. But this is the reality. There's going to be days where I don't feel happy. There's going to be days where I do not feel, feel joyful. There's going to be days where I'm going to be, as the scriptures say, sorrowful yet rejoicing. How do those things mingle together? Because, listen, Jesus Christ cares about the trials you're walking through. Jesus Christ cares about the challenges, the internal challenges and temptations that you have. Jesus Christ cares about every single nanosecond of your life, and he is engaged in every single piece of it. And what he wants to do is free you from all the lies to bring you into all of the truth so that you can live in the abundant life that he has given to you because that abundant life is knowing him. That's the, that, that's the beauty of what he has for you. And so we have, to, we have to remember this, that regardless of what this world is going to do, our joy is absolutely secure. And when we're a, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's driven when we're ones who are reminding each other, understand this, this is not an isolated event. We need to speak this truth to one another. Because one day I'm going to forget it, one day you're going to forget it. We need to be reminding each other of these truths so that we can grow into a deeper, deeper and richer joy because our value of him is growing. I, I was really blessed um, this last year to experience some unique things, um, but it was, it was interesting, and we have some friends here and they'll remember this before I get into that. Um, something uh, really challenging happened at our friend's house last night. I was picking up a, uh, a jar of pickles it slipped out and it broke a plate. Pickle juice was everywhere. Calamity. Do we eat the tomatoes that the plate was on? Or that the, ta that the tomatoes, you know, what do we do? And I'm like, these are first world problems, right? Man, we can, we, you know, it's like, it's silly. But sometimes in our lives, we can allow these little things just to overwhelm us and and I was blessed, um, been blessed too, again, to be building a relationship with a group that, uh, 
that uh, trains missionaries in uh, Western Africa. And um, honestly, I can't really share countries, things like that, uh, because it actually is a uh, covert thing <laughs> that's being done. And, um, but I'll tell you, we're training missionaries that are being saved out of uh, Muslim-occupied territories that are coming out, and we're training them to go back in and be missionaries in areas that are functioned under Sharia law. Meaning that if you have a piece of the Bible or you mention the name of Jesus or you claim to be a Christian, you are killed. That's the country's law. And I am with these men, and I can't post pictures of them. I can't post where we are because there are Muslim terrorist groups that are actively searching for these people because they are going in to, to again, to bring the gospel and how they're doing it is um, amazing. But I'm sitting there and I'm talking to these guys who are literally going back to their country. And what was so fascinating about it, even for, for these men from one country, they, um, they had just gotten the Bible, in the, excuse me, the Old Testament in their language three weeks before I saw them. They knew of it, but this is the first time I was able to preach them, the first time out of the Old Testament. It was amazing. And they're taking that back. And, it, and one of the guys was actually, uh, be, before this, was arrested for having a portion of the Bible. And, and they, they put him in prison, and they brought him out to execute him. And there was a Koran with two swords over it. And by God's grace, uh, uh, some other people for, who were in a uh, higher, higher place in another country uh, were able to extradite him right at the moment when they were getting ready to kill him. And they bring him out. And, and, and now I'm sitting down in a room with these, with these men, right, who love Jesus, who literally are laying down their lives for Jesus. And, and there was a Q&A, and one of the guys raises his hand, and he asks me, he says, hey, how do I give the gospel in a way that they don't kill me immediately? I'm like, what? He says, I, I, I want... I, I want to serve Christ, and I know I'm probably going to die for him, but I want to serve him. Like, they're going back to these areas. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, I'm overwhelmed with this. And I get to go back to my country where we break plates, right? And, and, I, and I looked at this guy, and I knew, like, there's nothing in my life that I can share with him from my experience as to this, nor will I ever more than likely experience. And, and I looked at him, and I just told him, I said, <laughs> it was by the grace of God, I just, <laughs> I just said, listen, when you go into that culture and you love them, you are not showing your love, you're showing Christ's love. When you go into that world and you have peace amidst the chaos, the peace of Christ will stand out. Why? Because a little bit of Jesus stands out in a whole lot of darkness. And the reality is this, is that the love and the peace and the hope of man is not anything like, or you can't, you can't even compare it to, the hope and the life of Jesus Christ. And when we live that life out, it, it, it's going to be declared. And I told this guy, I brought him to, to 1 Peter, where, where Peter says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Peter's not saying, hey, find people and debate them on creation science. He says, no, 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 no. God is going to thrust you into situations that are absolutely hopeless, and then you're going to be somebody who's revealing hope, and then people are going to say to you, how in the world do you have hope? I mean, the world is against you. They're taking everything from you. And they're saying, I'm running to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And my hope is not here. My hope's not in this world. My hope is in the person of joy, and that is in Jesus Christ. The one who forgives me of my past, the one who doesn't hold anything against me, the one who doesn't condemn me, the one who lifts me up seven times, seven times, and he is pouring into me his life and saying, run well, run with my forgiveness, run with grace, run with my, ver with my mercy, and hold your head up high because the identity that I have given to you is nothing compared to what this world has and just you wait until you open your eyes in perfection and see me forever. That's what he has for us. 
That's the life he has for you. And whether or not you believe it sometimes in your own heart, in your own doubt, in your own life, understand this, the grace of Jesus Christ even covers that. And may he refresh in us the glory and the beauty of knowing him alone. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. And we thank you, God, that you understand that this race for us, broken fleshly people, are is hard. Lord, it is so easy to be distracted. It is so easy, God, to take our eyes off of you. It's so easy to let doubt and pain or betrayal or hurts or, or, or failures, God, to just render us useless, to make us think we're something less than. But God, we are everything because you made us everything in you. And so, Father, may we remember that the life that we've given to us is not found in this world under a rock or in a bank account, Father, but the life that you've given to us is the most valuable, precious thing that we have, and we don't have to wait to live it. We get to live it right now. And God, may we live in the abundancy of that. And may we never go back and focus on what's behind, but may we know that what lies ahead is better than ever, and may we cross that finish line with bleeding lungs and joy in our faces because we know we are running to a God who loves. In your name we pray, amen.